Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. Can't speak for Will Smith, darling, but this is real hair. You're watching AM to DM. <laughs> That's right. This morning, Entertainment Weekly debuted a first look at the cast of Disney's Aladdin remake and... What the fuck is on Will Smith's head? What the what fuck is, is on Will Smith's oh, head? Oh, Yes, thank you for that mm. Zoom moment. Mm, Let's leave it there is... for a second. Let's Ooh. meditate. Okay. How do you think about to stick on there? Wow. Oh, we're going deeper. What do you think? We're going deeper. Here's the thing. Just look at his <laughs> face. Look at his face. He truly, truly is like, oh no, you don't have me as CGI up here? I thought I was going to be CGI in this movie. You're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. <laughs> um, you know, okay, here's, let's start like two roses and a thorn. Okay. One rose, mm. okay, is um, he can do that thing like when Beyonce had that long hair and she was like. Oh, okay. He can whip his hair back and forth like Willow. Okay. The thorn is you're this really, looks. You're really looking for the silver lining, my I friend. Am. But okay, I'll the go. The thorn with you. is this looks absolutely insane, as yeah. does his beard. The yeah. other rose is that uh, Will Smith ran to Instagram this morning because this only broke like what thirty minutes ago. And, and the internet really. The timeline just is already like dragged Will Smith him left. Left. Dragged him right. He, he went to Instagram and was like, "Listen, um, this is the genie's look in the movie when he is in disguise as a human. He will be blue and in CGI for most of the movie." Which, okay. I'm starting to see the vision. So you see all the vision? of a sudden, this is supposed to be a genie's version of what a human would look like. Right. Which does look pretty fake. Yeah, so it is kind of like, because it is based on a cartoon, kind of silly. So maybe it's like, it's not supposed to look that convincing. Okay. It's supposed to look a little cartoony. I'm glad he cleared that up. Because I looked at this this morning, and I was just like, it really looks like he showed up to set and was like, wait, I'm not uh -huh. just doing voice acting? Yeah. Why do you guys have me in a costume? Uh, now, and it's Will Smith. I, I'm excited to see him, you know, do Robin Williams' iconic role. I could see him being self-aware, like maybe he changes and looks in the mirror and is like, what? <laughs> that could be a funny moment. So uh, let's hang in there. We, we dragged him all over the place, <laughs> but now it's not the time. The other things that people are upset about, just to be clear though, Aladdin over here, not bare-chested. Oh. Okay, and there's no excuse in the desert. for that. It's pretty hot. I'm just saying, cartoon Aladdin, no shirt. That was a rule. Is it because, well, I wonder, is it because like when you have live action and the characters like a teenager, sexualizing them gets a little... Anyways, <laughs> Fair I'm, I'm just rooting. I'm just rooting for Hot Jafar. That's Fair. all. Ooh, I know. a man. Well, another day, another privacy scandal at Facebook. Here's a tweet from the New York Times, which broke the story overnight. Facebook deals in data. Facebook's largest partners got far more access than Cambridge Analytica did. Facebook never directly told users that it was sharing this data. Facebook was sloppy. Regulators. Let it happen. My mm. goodness. Mm. I mean, literally, just on Monday, we were talking about a different Facebook scandal with Charlie Warzel. So it's just like, one, it's like, I mean, it's like, who, who's going faster? How many investigations does the Trump administration go in? How many investigations does Facebook need? I know a lot of people right now are looking back at their year. How uh -huh. did I do in 2018? Facebook had a real fucking bad They had a bad, and they earned it. They mm. earned it. So here's the tea with this. I mean, a lot of the private data was shared with consumer brands like Netflix, uh oh, Spotify, Amazon, which also has been having a you know a shaky last quarter. Um, so those are you know, listen, it, my data being shared with companies I don't like it that want to cater to me with ads is one thing. But here's an important aspect that Benjamin Applebaum points out about this new scandal: the list of companies with which Facebook shared your private information includes China's Huawei and Russia's Yandex, which is to say. Companies regarded as partners of Chinese and Russian intelligence. 
That's spy agencies, guys. Mm, that's oh deep. All right, well, listen, our very own Ryan Broderick joins us now. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, guys. <laughs> listen, man, even by Facebook standards, we were just talking about they have a pretty rough year. I got to ask on this one, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, it's really bad. Um, but I will say it sounds a bit worse than I think it is in practice. And I'm not the guy to ever be like this, I swear. But most of these privacy things that you're reading about now are, they were triggered when you linked your account to something. I think Facebook for many years was sort of the intermediary, say with Spotify or your Bank of America account or whatever it is, right? When you did that, it gave those companies that were partnering with Facebook insane amounts of access. It's pretty similar to what Cambridge Analytica was doing, but these companies had Facebook's uh, consent to go even further. And I think now that consumers are beginning to understand exactly how deep these permissions went, we're obviously all getting a little uncomfortable about it. We're getting uncomfortable about it, and I think that's an excellent point. To the point of where you were also talking about, all of these scandals um, and privacy data leaks, uh, you know, are starting to blur together. I, I, I think people would be forgiven for going, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up at this point. So will these scandals even have a substantive impact, or are we almost like overwhelmed in, into complacency at this point? Well, I mean, the the problem with this is that I'm not sure where people go if they don't go on Facebook. Uh, obviously, Instagram is growing, which is also owned by Facebook. And according to reports that came out this week, was more inundated with Russian misinformation than Facebook itself was. So it's not exactly a great alternative. But I mean, Facebook has done such an effective job over the last, say, four years of replacing the internet in most people's minds that... I feel like it's just going to be kind of like the New York City subway system. Like, it's just going to be rotten and on fire, but there's nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. So you just sort of have to use it. You get that smug, I live in London now look off your face, Ryan <laughs> Roderick. We're getting don't, weed, don't, okay? Don't think I didn't see that shade. Only listen, we're allowed to okay, talk Okay, so about a it. lot of people maybe not quitting today, or if they did quit, where would they go? Let me ask this. Will, is there any chance that we'll actually get real substantive regulation? I mean, it would be fantastic if uh, a bunch of, let, maybe the U.S. government steps in or the EU steps in and, and, and starts to try to like break through what's going on here. But I mean, I watched the same congressional hearings that you guys do. And the last time, what was it, like two weeks ago, the senator's waving a phone around asking if like Apple can listen to him talk to a Republican senator. I just don't know if the tech literacy is high enough yet on a governmental level for all the old people who incidentally are probably the most vulnerable for their data being stolen can actually step in and do anything about this. Oh, that's interesting. It's like we need more elected official, officials who are literate with this kind of technology so that when they have these hearings, they can ask the right questions. Younger representatives. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. earlier this morning, I tweeted this, Ryan, and it did seem to resonate with people. Uh, I've been thinking about the phenomenon of victim blaming. You know, it's your fault that you are, were or are a Facebook user that takes off after every new Facebook privacy scandal. It seems similar to how banks have scammed us into accepting that identity theft is our fault, not theirs, right? When our data links, when our, like, our credit cards, everything, it's like, no, 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 no. This is on you, boo-boo. This is on you, boo-boo. No one's going to say, well, you shouldn't work with banks. You shouldn't have a credit card and you don't want your data stolen. So why do we accept this narrative so easily? I mean, I think it's just because that's something that these companies 
sort of have built into us. But I think the, the best example is, you know, if a car manufacturer doesn't give you the option for seatbelts, and you can't get mad at them. I mean, you, you, you have to say something, right? Like if, if you don't wear your seatbelt, that's your problem. But if the car doesn't even have them, that's an unsafe car. And I think at this point, Facebook doesn't have any sort of protections in place that people one, understand and two, are actively thinking about. Um, I will say though, that the only thing you asked about regulation, the only thing that I've seen that's sort of getting towards this idea is something that started in the EU, the GDPR. For most people, it's the reason you have to click accept cookies all over the place on the internet. But research has shown that it did change the way people think about data and privacy when it comes to website and cookies. Mm. So, I mean, there are ways to do this. It's just that I, Facebook seems to be really intent on dragging its feet and saying it doesn't have a problem. Mm. But you have to admit that you have a problem before you can do anything about it. Got to let the healing begin. That's right. Mm. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Also, cute shirt. <laughs> all right, well, let's take it to the timeline. Uh, do you think deleting Facebook is enough? Has all the damage been done and it's like we just need to focus on regulation? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. And we've got a news story from Atlantic staff writer and friend of the show. She deserves like a, a plaque hey, or something. Absolutely. Taylor Lorenz, we love her. A decade ago, shilling products to your fans may have been seen as selling out. Now it's a sign of success. Success so much so that rising Instagram stars are posting fake sponsored content. Taylor Lorenz joins us now. Good morning, Taylor. Hey, guys. Ooh, look hey. at that light. Ooh, girl, you better well have done. a back. Well done. Listen, right children, <laughs> this is how you show up on AM to DM via Where you video. at, Ryan? Ryan, you still watching? Take some notes. Take some notes. <laughs> okay, so Taylor, like you just said, right? Not long ago, SpawnCon felt a little icky. Why are folks now not just embracing it, but faking it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely remember even a few years ago, um, people, especially YouTubers, getting dragged for brand deals. Um, you know, people sort of like hated on, on all of these ads. People still hate all of these ads on Instagram. But I think as sort of um, influencer culture has, has, I guess, gained more prominence and become more aspirational, a lot of kind of like wannabe influencers or influencers who are just starting out, mid-level influencers, um, are kind of, they see sponsored content and a good sponsored content deal as aspirational. So it's kind of like a badge of honor. Um, so they kind of, you know, until they get that first brand deal, maybe, or until they get a better brand deal, they might fake it um, first. That's that makes sense. So, I mean, we tell people fake it until you make it all the time. We can't be surprised they listen. Does it work? And how do the brands feel about it? Yeah, it does work. I mean, a few people I talked to in my story actually ended up getting, you know, legitimate deals out of it. I mean, it's kind of similar to a lot of other creative industries where you kind of like, you know, you have to do free creative work um, before you're ever paid. Um, so it is a way to get on a lot of, you know, brands radar. If you're doing this really high quality work for a brand and, you, you know, they see that sometimes brand manager will, will reach out. Um, a lot of brands though, especially luxury brands and very image conscious brands um, are kind of unhappy and frustrated with this though. Um, I talked to the owner of one, you know, kind of high end sunglass brand who was just saying that he felt like he's losing control over his image. You know, they do an influencer campaign and a lot of times um, influencers will piggyback on that campaign to try and make it look like they were part of this, uh, you know, this initiative. And, and so it can be really easy for things to kind of, uh, you know, I guess get out of hand. Um, That's interesting. That's super interesting to me. And, le and let me ask about that because 
Basically, you have rules. Like, if you have sponsored con- content, you have to disclose that on it's spo- Instagram. You have to disclose that it's sponsored content. But Taylor, if it's fake sponsored content, are there any rules around that? No, and I mean the irony is these people are kind of in some cases disclosing it like it's sponsored content, like they want to make it read as sponsored content. So they're giving that overly corporate ad speak that kind of like mimics disclosures of real sponsored content. And then of course the irony, as uh, Katie Natopoulos has written about, um, is that a lot of these people that are supposed to be disclosing, you know, that their posts are sponsored aren't aren't abiding by those rules. So it all gets very confusing um, for consumers who are just scrolling through their feed to know. What's an ad? What's not an ad? What's something that somebody wants to be an ad? Um, it's it's all kind of murky. Huh. This is tea. <laughs> I, I kind of, I can't help but, with. I mean, maybe it's just when we're talking about Facebook and it's like everything is a disaster. There is something kind of delightful about this. It might be. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like, I, I love these people's hustle. Honestly, like, it's just, it's also so dystopian. It's just like people just will do anything to show for brands, um, which is just hilarious. What a um, world. What a world. Well, Taylor, I, I love your reporting because I think you're, you consistently cover areas that I think are underestimated in terms of their influence, and it's always so interesting. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Also, Thanks. oh my God, her apartment is fabulous. Her apartment is fabulous. I, love I also it. love the idea, and, and you can read her piece. We're going to tweet it out right yeah. now. But it's all about how teens are now also like basically fake sponsoring. Like they're doing, like it's become a trend amongst teens to pretend like they have sponsored content, even if they have like eight followers. So, Twitter, let's pretend to be influencers. <laughs> what brand would you fake sponsorship from and why? Let us know using the hashtag aim to DM. You got one? I got Gucci, McQueen, Prada. <laughs> Versace, <laughs> Daniel Patrick, all of them. Nike, all mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. all of them. But really, All Saints, because y'all know I'm, I'd be all up and through All Saints. I, I'm surprised you're not already sponsored. I mean, no me. All right, well, we are going to get through this Wednesday together, children, are we? Hold my hand. All right, Christian Siriano is here. I'm excited to talk about fashion looks with him. Um, but up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. <laughs> Welcome back, children. A question for you. This is just off the cuff here. I like to terrify uh, Isaac. Was Aladdin your sexual awakening? (laughs) Was that, you know? And who? Who? You know, were you like, ooh, Javar, I have a daddy complex now. Mm -hmm. You know? Or were you like Aladdin? Ooh, Sean Cody is in my future. Let us know. For me, it was the bird. (laughs) (laughs) I did like the bird. The bird and the genie. All right, anyway. Yago. I forgot that was his name. Okay, okay, okay. Let's get to these fire tweets. This first one is from Aaron. Aaron tweeted, I give all my friends the gift of canceled plans. Yes! Woo, That's children. what I'm asking for right this holiday now, season. Yeah, we just, yesterday I felt like I was telling you that first winter day where it was like biting cold mm. outside, where it was like, okay, let's uh, see you in March, girl. It is cold. You know what a warm hug is? A warm hug is an email that says, you know what, I can't make it tonight. You are making everybody happy with that one. Don't have stress around it. Cancel those plans. We all like social media for a reason. <laughs> Car tweeted, the TV show Next 
was live action Tinder. Okay, this is so true. Isaac had not heard of Next, so you I, watched I, the clip this like, morning. Had I not heard of it, or had I repressed it? That's had fair. I put it in the lockbox. It was literally, remember, like, sometimes, you saw a clip. Like, I like, saw a clip. Sometimes the person would walk off the bus, and their per- prospective date or just Next, like, immediately. Next. yeah. Now, it was Tinder IRL. It was. Which, MTV, I know you're looking for some shows, maybe bring that back. But don't bring back Room Raiders, where someone would figure out, like, decide if they were going to date you by going into your bedroom without you with an expert. And, like, with guys, like, the girl would be going over the guy's bed with a black light. (laughs) Don't do that. 90s were wild. 90s were wild. I think that was the 2000s, even worse. (laughs) All right, this next tweet comes from Ken. I've triggered myself. Okay. Life whooped my ass this year, and the craziest part is... I needed that. Mm. <laughs> mm. Kid, were you acting the fool? Were you acting the fool? Sometimes you, sometimes you gotta have those hard times. Uh, or it so, could be like a ooh, like a ah. <laughs> <laughs> like a Yago? <laughs> what? <laughs> the volatile mermaid tweeted, today there is crying in baseball. Oh man, shout out to Penny Marshall. Shout out. An icon. A real one. A Bronx girl. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sorry. The movie's just iconic. I mean, for me, League of Their Own was like a life-changing mm-hmm. movie. Like, I was the perfect age for it when mm-hmm. it came out, and I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I love. I watched Shirley Laverne when I was a kid a mm-hmm. little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I have some memories of watching it, and they're like, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> like, that is a pleasant memory. I was like, who are these ladies? Um, but I realized all day long yesterday, after the news broke of her passing away, it was like, I was like seeing her and things, thinking of my own, okay. She, you know, she was, she made history as like a director as well, so shout out to that. But I was like, haha, I took a nap and I woke up and I screamed, hocus pocus. The scene where the witches go into the house and they think they're meeting Satan, the wife that kicks him out, this is funny, that's Penny Marshall. Satan is played by her brother. Bob Marshall. Oh, wow. Who's also a famous, a like, iconic. Fact. So I was like, ah, yay. So it's just fun. So shout out. What an incredible, like, just legacy to she leave. She did it. I also love that everything for you is about two degrees to hocus pocus. Know me. Know me. <laughs> All right, ready for tweet of the day? Okay, it comes from Amal. You know what I really love about white people? They always leave reviews. Half the shit I own was only purchased because some kind of white woman uh, decided to leave a 100-word review on the internet. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> That's true. I have never reviewed a restaurant in my life. Yeah, I mean, Yelp is for stitches, for sure. But sometimes you just gotta appreciate the Susans yeah. and the Barbaras who are out here just letting yeah. you know that that's the best toilet plunger there is. There's a lot of toilet plungers, but that's the best one. That's what you came up with? That's what I came up with. Okay. Coming up, Saeed Sistel with fashion designer Christian Siri- Siriano. But up next, we are going live from the district. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. You gotta... Welcome back. We are now going live from the district. Uh, Let's start with this tweet from BuzzFeed News. The Senate has passed its landmark criminal justice package, which includes lessening three strike sentences, granting exemptions to mandatory maximum sentences, and allowing nonviolent offenders to work toward early release from prison. Joining us now is BuzzFeed News politics reporter Lysandra Villa. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. It's not very often where I get to come up here and talk about how the Senate actually worked on something. So excited to be here. We're shocked. We're excited. Uh, So let's start there. How did this Congress, which is incredibly partisan, get this bill passed? 
Yeah, this is especially surprising because we're hitting the end of the year here. This is supposed to be a lame duck Congress. And you have to remember that Republicans controlled the White House, the Senate, and the House for the entire Congress. And here in the last couple of weeks, uh, they're passing a major piece of legislation. And it's like, where where was that compromise all along? Like, why why wasn't this something that, that they got done way earlier? So it's just like the, the timing is shocking, but they got it done, and, and it was a bipartisan win. Uh, and I'm... Not to be cynical, but I am curious about this to see many members of the Republican Party, which often, you know, they often campaign on being tough on crime, you know, the three strikes, all of this, um, and, and, and certainly like the war on drugs. Okay, so where's this coming from? Um, why are Republicans in particular so invested in criminal justice reform? Well, the Republicans have the justification of saying if the less people that are in prison, the more money that they're saving. But there are a couple of Republicans who voted against this that were saying, hey, we're going to look soft on crime. Ultimately, though, this was passed by a huge margin. This was passed by a huge margin. What was the split? It was 87. Um, and you, the people that voted no included people like Senator um, Tom Cotton, who was campaigning hard against this. Um, Cotton was saying that, like I said, they, they would look like they were being soft on crime, um, but ultimately uh, he just didn't come around. But others like Ted Cruz and even Mitch McConnell did. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so setting aside my, like, where's the trap door on this, uh, again, these policy changes will have a huge impact on possibly, you know, thousands, if not millions of people's lives. So can you give some examples of the impact that people will see? Absolutely. You're, you're right about this affecting potentially thousands of people. Um, I did see one figure from the Congressional Budget Office that said that uh, uh, this could shave off 53,000 uh, years off of sentences over the next decade, but the Washington Post reported that there are some advocacy groups that, that contest that figure. Um, but this is big. The other thing to remember, though, it's called the First Step Act because it's a first step. You have to remember this only applies on the federal level, and that's only a fraction of people that are incarcerated in the U United States. So not out of the woods yet in terms of seeing criminal justice reform for the states as well. All right. Well, thank you, Lisa, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Have a nice day. Thank you. All right, fashion girls, get your good looks ready. I'm about to sit down with designer Christian Siriano. I am such a fan of his. Stay tuned. All right, friends, this is The Sit Down, and I'm so excited to be sitting across from designer Christian Siriano. I have been a fan of your work for so long Thank now. Thank you so much. I Thank love you it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You bring love and, and fashion and glory to so many people who I think the fashion industry, for whatever reason, overlooks, you know, and I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were talking about award season. Mm -hmm. Share some of this tea. I think that's interesting. <laughs> what is December like for Christian Siriano? It, it's a wild one. December's hard because it's a we show pre-fall and then we're already getting ready for February Fashion Week, okay. which is already crazy, mm -hmm. but it's award season. So mm. I always think it's so funny because it's like, you know you're going to the Golden Globes, mm -hmm. you know, but three days notice, like, <laughs> to make a dress? Give me just, I need like a couple more. Just a little but bit more. But it's so notice. interesting because you come back from New Year's mm -hmm. and it's like, bam, it's like, you know, there's so much. There's mm -hmm. Globes, SAGs, Oscars, Grammy, everything in like a month. Wow. So it is wild. So are you going into like this kind of period, like when the, the Golden Globe nominations mm -hmm. come out and you're like, okay, Lady Gaga, <laughs> I want you, girl. Like, how, how does that work? Are you reaching out? I'm not a big, um, 
you know, I'm a little more organic with it. I okay. don't like, I don't kind of go after and be like, I have to dress this person. Mm -hmm. But I work with a lot of stylists and I'll be like, okay, I'm happy to do something mm -hmm. if you want. Mm -hmm. I try to play it a little more casual. Okay. Because I think okay. sometimes when you like push yourself, it kind of, it never works out. Mm. And usually the most amazing moments are when they just randomly happen. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Well, you know, you dressed so many people, uh, for, certainly for award season, yeah. it was something like 17 people for the Oscars. Yeah. Um, one wow. of my favorite looks that you did this year was for Leslie Jones. That yeah. red dress was beautiful. What was it like working with amazing. her? Uh, she's amazing. I love Leslie. In a fitting, it's hilarious. She's wild. She screams a lot. It's awesome. You know? <laughs> she screams you know, she a lot. Screams, it's so fun. We <laughs> dressed her for the Emmys this year in this metallic, um, you know, amazing, really cool suit. Mm -hmm. And she just looked, and it was so funny because she gave Regina King her... Best Actress Emmy, and Regina was also wearing my dress. Oh, so it was really, okay. it was like just a really cool night, and that, that was a great moment. Queens recognizing yeah, queens. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I also have that. I'm a huge Ariana Grande fan, as yeah. is, I think, most of Twitter Everyone. at, at yeah. this point. And she's worn a couple of your looks yeah. recently on yeah, the red carpet and Billboard. Uh, what's it like working with her? Um, it's awesome. I work with her stylist, Law, who has been, um, you know, a friend and um, I worked with him from like day one, mm -hmm. and I love him, and he's so talented. And literally, we showed pre-fall, I posted a sneak peek, and he texted me, was like, I need this for Ariana, she's wearing it to Billboard. And I was like, are you sure? And he, I'm like, it's not even a thing yet. And he's like, yep, yeah. I sent it to him the next day. So, so actually, no, I sent it to him that night. Oh my Crazy. God. She wore it the next day. No tears left to cry, no right. time left right. to waste. No time left to waste. <laughs> she's on it. We made that dress for her probably in like five hours. Wow. Yeah, but that's how it is because Ariana, you know, she is so busy. Mm -hmm. I mean, she mm -hmm. literally is one of the busiest people in the mm -hmm. world. And so it was like, no time, you know, no fitting time. I was about to say, she, she, you There's don't even have time for, for her to no, like come in and- time for fittings. Oh my goodness. It's a fit and if it doesn't fit, it's out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So high stakes. Um, well, you know, it's so interesting. You're so busy and you also like engage politics and culture, I think in a way that sometimes fashion designers shy away from. You've had yeah. people walk down to the runway with like vote for Cynthia Nixon, yeah. you know, um, and you again, like Time Magazine, like 100 most influential people. Uh, do you feel empowered to talk about politics in fashion? Does it make you nervous ever? Um, I mean, I think as a designer, we kind of only have one kind of voice, and that's mm. the clothes that we put out for the world to mm -hmm. see. So, you know, if I think that those clothes actually represent a lot because, I mean, people really, you know, live their life in these pieces. So I think definitely they have a lot to say. I think who we dress, you know, has a lot to say about the brand that we are. So, you know, if you don't dress diverse women, then how do you celebrate diverse women? Right. So I think it's the same thing with politics. If you don't celebrate all these different types of people, mm -hmm. then, you know, you're not for the people. Right. So I think that that's how I try to balance it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. And, and you've spoken very eloquently about, you know, different body types, uh, cultures, identities, Janet Mock, Leslie Jones, yeah. you know, women who, you know, often I think struggle sometimes to find beautiful high fashion gowns. Yeah. Um, you spoke about like, it's a good thing to do. It's also yeah. smart business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Why do you think it. the fashion industry overall though, even though like the numbers, like listen, there are a lot more of us out here who have bigger bodies than yeah. anybody. Why do you think the fashion industry is still so resistant to embracing bodies like I that? Think, I think fashion is, the, even, though, even though we change so much and evolve, we actually, I think the business in general is very stuck in their ways. Mm. And they're a little bit... Um, yeah, they, they have a hard time changing, I think, mm -hmm. w w which is so funny because we change every season. But um, they definitely get stuck in their ways. With it. And I also think, you know... It is a big undertaking to take on this idea that we can dress everyone mm -hmm. because you can't physically dress everyone. Mm -hmm. But you know, we try our best, and I, I wish more brands did um, because there's awesome people out there that 
are are different. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, something that I've been looking, I love Diet Prada on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love <laughs> Diet Prada, all the tea. They are <laughs> they, doing some investigative journalism. They're sassy, let me tell you. <laughs> are, are designers ever like, oh, God, don't come for me? No, I think, um, I think it's great. I think sometimes it's a stretch, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I think what's hard is, like, in the world of social, like, even if you're not thinking about it, sometimes just it happens subconsciously that things inspire you mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm. don't even want to inspire you, but it just does because there's so much visual everything out right, there. Right. You know, so much social media. And then also stylists are the same thing. They're pulling things that look similar to other things, mm-hmm. even though they're not thinking about it. They may not remember it. what they're They're not remember. even thinking about that. They're like, oh, we just need red dresses. Mm-hmm, and then it so happens that some red dresses look similar. You mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. It's interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, recently Diet Prada in particular uh, covered, well, Prada's recent moment with like yeah. the dolls that were like, is this blackface? And Dolce & Gabbana. Right. Woo! Um, I like that they're doing that. It's important. Yeah. It's important. And I think similar to the resistance to change, uh, right. why... Are, why do we keep having these moments? It seems so basic. Blackface in 2018. It's You'd think a, a fashion house would know we don't do that anymore. Why does yeah. it keep happening? Though? I know. It is the strangest thing. I get this question you know, a lot, and I'm like, because people are like, oh, is it hard, or is, there, is it right now in our culture, can you say anything? You know, I get that question a lot. But really, it's more just like, I think people just need to be authentic mm-hmm. to them. And if that's what they are, then great, they're out. You know, And if you're not yourself, and if you're not... I don't know, celebrating people and and all these amazing things people are doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm very inspired by all these different types of women and and or or not women or whatever you are. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big thing now. We we are dressing people who are everything, men, women, you know, trans, non-binary, everything. And I love that. You know, if you want a $10,000 dress, I don't care what you are. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. I'm not interested. I'm mm-hmm. like, I just want to make you look great. Right, right. If that check clears. Right? It, right. You know, it's got to clear. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> I, and also, I mean, you know, I remember watching you on Project Runway, and I, 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 I was like, well, I don't care if this person wins or not. Like, he's giving me life, he's giving <laughs> yeah. me humor, and the looks are there, and yeah. here you are. You know, sometimes people go through reality TV shows, and they kind of disappear a few yeah. years later. It's hard you, work. You've done it. You've made it. You're, you're here. What's it like to kind of come full circle with your career at this point? Um, yeah, it's crazy, you know. It's, it's the fashion is really hard. You know, I always say it's easy to get someone to buy a dress once, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to get them coming back season after season. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. the real challenge and goal Mm -hmm. as a designer, but it's hard. And yeah, now being, um, you know, a mentor on the new season is really crazy and, um, and weird, but also great because Mm -hmm. I get to help them because I'm actually really in the business right Right, now. So if the challenge is to dress someone on the red carpet, I dress people on the red carpet Mm -hmm. so I can help them a bit more. You've been all the way through it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, And it's cool. You've paired with uh, Damira for the Check Your Sweat campaign. Tell me about this cause. What got your attention? It's really great. You know, it kind of goes back to this idea that I wanted to help people that might not feel great about themselves. You know, people that have, um, you know, excessive sweating, which is hyperhydrosis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's debilitating. You know, mm-hmm. people don't want to leave their house. They don't it's, want to get it dressed. It makes you insecure. No, it makes you insecure. Yeah. And I want, so, you know, the whole Check Your Sweat campaign is all about bringing kind of a community together of people that have this condition but can still, you know, get dressed every day and mm-hmm. feel good. And I give tips, um, you know, on the website about kind of like how to dress and mm-hmm. how to feel confident and things like that. So it's been great. I love it. Well, yeah. thank you so much for everything you yeah, do. I feel like you're you. helping us all feel fierce and confident in I different try, ways. I try, try. appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Again, uh, Christian Sierra, know him, love him. Uh, up next, Isaac looks at a study that shows just how abusive Twitter has become for women because we know it is wild out there on the timeline, y'all. Thank you, Christian. <laughs>
Here's a couple of tweets from Wired's Emily Dreyfus. Twitter hasn't released comprehensive data on abuse against women on the site, so Amnesty International partnered with Element AI to use crowdsourcing and machine learning to gauge just how toxic the site is for women. They found that black women are disproportionately targeted. In fact, one in every 10 tweets sent to black women in the study was abusive or problematic, whereas for white women, it was one in 15. I'm joined now by Milena Marin, Amnesty International Senior Advisor for Tactical Research. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Doing very well. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and thank you so much for doing this study. To start, what was the Troll Patrol, and why was it created? Well, as you said, we created Troll Patrol out of frustration with Twitter. We repeatedly asked them to share information with us about the abuse on their platform, in particular abuse against women. Um, and despite our numerous calls for transparency, they just paid lip service to our requests. Um, so we did it ourselves. We, it took us a year. It took us, um, it needed engaging 6,500 digital volunteers from everywhere around the world. And it required partnering with the technology company to make sense of the data and uh, use the latest technology and algorithms to understand abuse on Twitter. Okay, so you put a year into this because Twitter wouldn't respond to your request. Uh, the study found that 7.1% of tweets sent to women are problematic, about one every 30 seconds. Now, I wanted to ask, what's the difference between a problematic tweet and an abusive tweet? So sometimes there's a fine line. Abusive tweets is clearly would uh, break the terms and conditions of Twitter, so the rules of engagement. They have a hateful conduct policy that defines abuse. Um, so an abusive tweet would be qualifying a threats of violence, of sexual violence, would be um, abuse based on a, on a person's identity, including um, gender, religion, uh, ethnic background, sexuality, and so on. Problematic is, um, is obviously not to such degree as an abusive tweet, but if repeated, would have a similar effect. So we wanted to include problematic tweets because they really have a withdrawal and a silencing effect on women as well. They would probably qualify as freedom of speech. They wouldn't necessarily, all of them, uh, be against Twitter's rules, uh, but they still have a, a, a silencing effect on women. So that's why we wanted to include them. Especially as they happen over and over again over time, 1,000%. Absolutely. You tweeted out, Absolutely. You tweeted out this graphic uh, from the study showing how black women received 84% more abusive tweets compared to white women, 84%. Were you surprised by those findings? Absolutely. So I think the scale of abuse was not surprising and is what we heard from women repeatedly over the time. Uh, but the fact that the burnt of the abuse is bared by, by, by black women, I think that is surprising. Um, and that so much more abuse is directed at black women and that abuse is intersectional in nature. Um, it's gendered because they are women, but it's also racist because they are black women. So I think that is a reality that we need to face and that Twitter needs to face. A reality we need to face and that Twitter needs to face. Is abuse consistent uh, along the political spectrum? Yes, we've seen that women that represent uh, left-leaning organizations and right-leaning organizations both get abused. Politicians tend to get more abuse if they work for uh, left political parties, such as the Labour Party in the UK or the Democrats in the States. Uh, but with journalists, we've seen the other way around, that journalists working for right-wing media organizations tend to get more abuse. All right, now I wanted to highlight this tweet from Amnesty International Secretary General Kumi Nedu. 
To be clear, it is not our job as a human rights organization to be an analyzing abusive tweets on this platform. It's Twitter's. But their refusal to make public this information while allowing abuse to flourish basically unchecked meant we had to do this study for them. So what specifically would you like to see Twitter do to combat abuse on their platform? So we know abuse is a complex issue and we've seen that over, over this year working on it. As I said, it, it took a big effort to, to even engage in this study and there's lots of things that we couldn't measure. Um, we want Twitter to be more transparent. We want them to release information about the number of reports that women um, uh, you know, lodge on the platform uh, for abuse. We want to know how they respond to abuse. We want to know how many moderators they engage. We're curious to see whether we engage more digital volunteers than they have moderators. Um, we we want to know their moderation policy. We want to know what training the moderators have and really what is the investment, basically, that Twitter puts behind this. Um, and so far, they, they only, as I said, paid lip service to our transparency calls. They release some information, but nowhere, nowhere as meaningful as, as, as our study and nowhere as useful as we want it to be for concrete policy recommendations. All right. Well, I got to say, Malena, thank you so much for doing this study. We really appreciate it. And I'm sorry you're kind of picking up the ball that Twitter has dropped. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, listen, up next, I'm talking about the biggest science stories of 2018 with Dan the Man Vergano. Stick around. 2018 has been a big year for science, and thankfully, we've had BuzzFeed News science reporter Dan Vergano to guide us through it. He joins me today to give us the cliff notes on what you might have missed and some updates on stories we've been following. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Isaac. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. Give me a quick profile, though. Turn, turn your head a little bit. Let's see this new haircut. Ooh, Daddy Dan Vergano, <laughs> looking good, coming into the end of the year hot, I like it. It's a good look, yeah, man. man. All right, listen, there are three areas of science I want to focus on today with you. The first being my favorite, space and aliens. Space and aliens, baby. Dan, earlier this year we discussed UFO sightings and the existence of aliens. Have there been any updates there? Well, sadly, no aliens yet, uh, but uh, we're, uh, UFO experts or people at least who look into UFOs have been looking into the sighting that made so much noise in March, uh, which was a U.S. Navy pilot spotting something in 2004 and it finally surfacing now. And there was dramatic video and things like that. Uh, taking a close look at the video, um, the people are becoming more convinced that what they spotted uh, was likely a drone uh, being tested over the ocean. Uh, there were a couple that looked like the tic-tac shape of the whole thing. And uh, there was a remarkable part in the video where the, the thing seemed to zip out of the camera view really fast. It was very dramatic. And it now appears that what that actually was was the tracking camera on the plane uh, turning off its tracking. And so it slewed back into its original position. So it's not the thing moving, but the camera. But, you know, hope is still out there. Uh, it, there's been no final report from the Navy or, or other folks about it. But that's where sort of things stand with those aliens, uh, that alien sighting now. That's the deep dive into that video. I will say this, man, you said drone. Uh, I'm just saying, who's to say? Maybe drone from outer space. You never know. Uh, listen, you also tweeted, Saturn's rings will be gone in 300 million years. Now, Saturn is very far away, and I know I won't make it another 300 million years on this Earth. So why should we care about this news? 
Well, you know, there's always hope for syndication for AM to DM, you know, Isaac. You might be around, you know, on video uh, then. <laughs> but uh, leaving that aside, here we give you the whole wonder of the universe, man. Like, these rings are this the most fabulous thing in the solar system. And we lucky earthlings get to watch them in the brief period of a few hundred million years when they seem to be around, despite the 4.5 billion uh, year existence of the solar system. And you just got this little sliver, us and the dinosaurs getting to eyeball these things and they're going away. It's uh, just a remarkable feat of uh, space astronomy that they could look up close at these things with a spacecraft like Cassini and actually be able to see particles of ice raining out of the rings of Saturn onto the surface of this uh, massive planet. All right, I like that. So I should feel blessed that I live on this earth at the same time as Beyonce. What are the odds? I should also You're the feel blessed guy. that I this live dig this, right? at the same time as the Saturn rings. All right, now let's move on to genetics. That's right. All right. The, the real big news this year probably was this uh, announcement by a Chinese scientist that he had uh, genetically edited, although it's not clear how precise the edits were, uh, two twin babies born in China, Lulu and Nana, uh, for a gene um, that makes them uh, less susceptible to uh, one strain of HIV. Uh, it's causing a huge amount of consternation in science because, uh, A, it looks like essentially he just went off his own and did this, despite people saying, like, let's make sure it's safe. Uh, it's unclear if it was safe. Uh, and it's not clear the edits actually took. It looks like at least for one uh, of the twins. Uh, and it does seem like this really happened. There's still some suspicion, like, is this a whole thing to put on? But no, nah, it seems like it really happened. Uh, at least for one of the twins, it was a mixture of, of edits. And for the other one, it doesn't even look like, for both of them, in fact, it doesn't look like the edits quite hit the gene that they were trying to disable in the place where they were supposed to. So it's caused a whole lot of uh, spelkus in the genetic field. Uh, they actually wanted to do this, of course, but they wanted to follow the sort of, you know, FDA-approved ethical guidelines, make sure it's safe before you try it sort of uh, platform. And this guy has just sort of submarine the whole thing and, and thrown all the cards up in the air. Kind of out there doing a cowboy move, but we're not in Gattaca yet. Uh, all right, well, listen, Dan, I can't let you go without talking about what's on everyone's mind, which brings us to our final topic, Doomsday. <laughs> My man, how much longer do we have? About till 2050, it looks like, uh, till uh, climate change really starts to kick in heavily. There's an IPCC report this year that made a lot of noise. That's when uh, things go about 1.5 degrees C above present temperatures and things like droughts, heat waves, wildfires, uh, like we saw in California, uh, the whole, you know, Gamesh, uh, the whole uh, bad things that have been predicted for decades really start to become the normal. Uh, in fact, we're already starting to see that. There was a U.S. climate assessment that came out that said, you know, we're getting heavier downpours, more wildfires, more droughts, uh, impacts on human health as uh, insect pests move up and farming being hurt. Uh, so we are in the climate change era, um, and we will see how it works out. There was just a release yesterday from NASA of its latest data for November, and what you see, yay verily, is uh, it's hot this year. It's not as hot as 2016, was a, which was an El Nino year, which boosts temperatures, but still this year not being an El Nino year is hotter than the previous El Nino year where it was hot. So things are going up, uh, and that's, that's basically the story with that. Unless the aliens show up and help us out, uh, it looks like something has to be done about climate change. Uh, something should be done about climate change, but I do like your little optimism there at the end. Maybe those Tic Tacs will come down and grab us. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful end of the year. Enjoy that haircut all over DC, all right, man? Yeah.
Happy holidays, man. Happy, happy holidays. When we come back, Saeed and I are responding to some of your tweets. Welcome back. Tanya Melendez had this to say about our discussion with Ryan about Facebook yet again stepping in it. It sounds a little bit worse than it actually is. This could be about Facebook giving my info to Russia. Could also be about live action Aladdin. No way to tell. Huh, that's actually true. We talked about two things this morning that were like, is this as bad as it seems? In the Aladdin case, absolutely not. Genie's gonna be CGI. I feel a lot of relief around I, that. That was important to you. It yeah, was. I'm, I'm, I'm good, because I was like, that was gonna ruin the movie for me. Right. And had that little, I don't know, cheap ponytail. Absolutely. Staple to the top of the Facebook and Russia, that's, <laughs> that, that makes me a little more nervous. Okay, let's talk about what's beyond help, MTV's old reality TV shows. <laughs> um, we were talking about Next, if you remember the show, the dating show Next, it was pretty crazy. And also got us talking about Room Raiders, which was even crazier. Kirsten Baptiste says Room Raiders was a trap. That sure was. True, because if you think about, I don't know about y'all, but like it, it, the, the basic concept was like the preamble to a first date. So, like, I don't want any first date situation where the person gets to walk through my house without me first. In your bedroom. With, like, blacklight and, like, all, they had all kinds of stuff. Keep going back to that backlight. Blacklight. <laughs> the blacklight oh, yeah. is kind of the creepiest. That was the, that was the part. All right, well, listen, we also asked what brand you would fake a sponsorship with on Instagram, and Crate and Barrel says Sharpie. All right, just to be clear, his name is actually Creighton Brown. That wasn't actually the real Creighton Barrel. We is, should... he an illustri- is he an illustrator or something? I, I, who knows? Maybe you... he likes to draw. What are you doing I mean, with you Sharpie? always need a good marker, you know? You always a need, Sharpie? You always need a good marker. Explain yourself, sir. <laughs> I want answers. Uh, Princess Leia had this to say about my sit-down with Christian Siriano. Christian will forever be my fave for dressing Leslie Jones when no one else would. We love a designer who works with a variety of body types, and I love that metallic suit she wore to the Emmys. He liked it, too. I attempted to recreate it for The Sims. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, I my um, aunt uh, has worked in fashion. My mom was a model when I was younger. I have grown up loving fashion. You know, a lot of my work uh, is inspired by it. I, I read so many books about it. But it is it is a brutal, um, mean, racist, classist, sexist industry, almost inherently. Um, and so to see someone like Christian Ciarano thrive, it's not like he's not doing well. Like, he's out there owning it. 17 gowns at the Oscars earlier this year, right? But also is, like, humane. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like when we see those people who are success models with compassion, like, we, we have to give them their flowers. Absolutely. It is a beautiful thing. That said, Princess Leia, send a screenshot of that Sims character. I want to see what that looked like. Sparkling. Sparkling. Thank you so much (laughs) to our guests, Ryan Broderick, Taylor Lorenz, Lysandra Villa, Christian Siriano, Melania, Marin, and Dan Vergano. Okay, we will be be back here tomorrow. That's Oh, it's Thursday, okay. It's Thursday. We're getting so, through the week, guys. This week We're is uh, the week. stretching out. I'm a little tired. I'm going on vacation. <laughs> we'll see you yeah. tomorrow at 10 a.m. Yeah, it was fine. Whatever. It's like, 